Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, last week, we started looking together uh, at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, we're doing that for simple reasons, really. We're doing that so that we can foster the habit of prayer in our lives if it's not already there, or so that we can nurture the habit of prayer in our lives if it is there. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer together so that we will be people who pray. Uh, prayer is one of the means of grace, which is the way that the church says that prayer is one of the places where God has promised to meet people like us and to share his life with us for our good. We learn to pray uh, by being around folks who pray, and we learn to pray by praying. And so looking at the prayer of Jesus uh, is a way for us to be around him as he prays it and to listen to him as he prays it, to think about what he meant as he prayed it. So Jesus said at the very beginning, when you pray, say, Our Father. And one of the times that Jesus uh, taught this prayer, recorded in uh, Luke's Gospel, he followed it with some teaching about the Father that he means for us to be praying to. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to read from Luke 11 verses 5 through 13. It's printed in the order of worship, if you want to follow along there. This is Luke 11. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray, uh, and we'll, we'll use the words of the psalmist that we just heard read to us uh, together. You incline your ear to us, and so we cry out to you. You incline your ear to us, you listen to us, and so we speak to you. And we ask that you'd meet us in this word that we have read and heard together, this word that was spoken by the word who bears our flesh, who is with you now praying for people like us. Show us his grace, his mercy, his love, and change us by it. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I'm sure that some of you remember uh, Downton Abbey, the television show. Um, I bet at least some of you watched it. For those of you who don't know what that is, uh, it was essentially an English parlor drama that was set in the early 20th century, and it ran here in the United States on public television from 2010 to 2015. And I don't mind telling you that I found that thing uh, compulsively watchable. 
it was very compulsively watchable. It had most of the standard uh, parlor drama stuff in it. You know, a big house, a big inheritance, complicated and fun and touching relationships between the help and the gentry, and the help and the other help, and the gentry and the other gentry. It had all of those classic things like misunderstood intentions and unrequited love and war and trips to London. I mean, really, you know, honestly, what else could you ask for in a parlor drama? Well, I will tell you what you could ask for, a member of the clergy. <laughs> a member of the clergy. That was oddly missing from the show. Usually those kind of dramas have a member of the clergy who wanders in and out of the plot of the show. He's usually a buffoon or a rat. Sometimes he's okay. The, uh, the clergy in these kind of dramas are usually just a device to draw out the piety or the impiety of the main characters, but there was no clergy in Downton Abbey, and that was noticeable. And I think that is what made something that happened in the second season of that show even more noticeable, to me at least. Mary, uh, one of the main characters in that show, was in love with a man who was going to head off to war. Uh, he was engaged to someone else because, of course, he, you know, he was engaged to someone else. But that did not weaken her affections. That did not weaken her uh, feeling of desperation about him leaving. And so, out of nowhere, in a, in a show that hadn't even hinted at issues of faith up until that point, Mary crawls out of bed. She kneels down beside it, and she prays. And this is what Mary prayed, Dear Lord, I don't pretend to have much credit with you. I'm not even sure you're there. But if you are, and I've ever done anything good, I beg you to keep him safe. That is a pretty classic pop culture prayer, isn't it? I'm not a praying man. I don't know if you listen. I don't know if I have any credit with you, but I hope you'll hear me. Pretty standard pop culture prayer, and church, I think it's standard for a reason. It is standard because even if we know better, sometimes that's how we think about God. And that's how we think about our relationship to him. I mean, I'd like to think that my own prayers kind of smooth out some of the theological rough edges in Mary's prayer, but there's enough points of contact to really make me think. That sense of wondering if God would really listen to me. That sense of wondering if I have any pull with him, really. Do I really have any pull with God? Like maybe I have to do good by him first before he'll do some good by me. And that underlying reality that undergirds the whole thing that we often pray when things are really bad and we forget about it the rest of the time and we know that he knows that. I mean, if we're being honest, a lot of our prayers come out like Mary's prayer, especially the ones that we don't say out loud. And there's lots of reasons for that and none of those reasons are a surprise to Jesus. And that's why we need him to teach us how to pray. And that's why when he teaches us how to pray our Father, he teaches us about what our Father is really like. Because the way that we talk to someone is always shaped by who we think they are. The way that we speak with someone 
is always shaped by our relationship with them. So before we get to that uh, parable of the midnight visitor and the sleepy friend, uh, I want to say two things about the beginning of the prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, say, are. Say, are. I mean, that is how the whole prayer that Jesus taught us goes. It is a communal prayer. It is a prayer that is prayed by a people. It is a prayer that says and asks for what it says and asks for us, for us. It's a prayer for the church. Now, you know, of course, there's lots of prayers in Scripture that are in the first person, and lots of people in Scripture pray in the first person, including Jesus, but not this one, not this prayer. And it is a good, a good reminder to us, I think a really good reminder to us that Jesus does not invite us to follow him by ourselves. <laughs> he has never invited anyone ever to follow him by themselves. I don't think there's any way, really, that we can hear that enough in this culture that we live in that allows us to customize, that allows us to isolate so much of our lives from one another. The Christian faith is not like that. To follow Jesus in faith means that we have been united not just to him, but to each other and to all of the saints, like the ones up in these windows leaning in right now. We have been connected to them and to each other forever. To follow Jesus by faith is to be placed into a family for which and to which we have the mutual responsibility of love. And so if you're inclined or drawn to want to follow Jesus without the family, then let the only prayer that Jesus ever taught you snap you out of it. <laughs> there is no other way to be a Christian than to be a Christian in a family. Which brings us directly to that second word at the beginning of the prayer that I want to talk about. It happens to be a deeply family word. Father. When you pray, say, our Father. How in the world do people like us get to call God Father? How can we call God Father? There is only one reason, church, to pray our Father is to acknowledge right up front, right at the start, right at the very head of the whole thing that our older brother Jesus has ushered us into the family. He is the one who has brought us into the family. As the late uh, Robert Capon put it in the kind of cheeky way, he always put things, we pray Father not out of our dubious supplicative competencies. We pray, Father, in the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. And to follow Jesus in faith means, church, to follow him in faith means that we have followed him through his death and through his resurrection and by the power of the Spirit in his ascension right into the place where the Father is. We have been adopted into the family. As the Apostle John puts it, uh, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right to be called the children of God. <laughs> As John wrote later in his life that we heard in that uh, New Testament lesson, see what kind of love that the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. 
If we follow Jesus in faith, God wants you to call him Father. And that's another thing I don't think we can ever hear enough. I mean, there's places, church, there's places in the Old Testament where God is called Father. But when he's called Father, it's, it's in the sense of creator. It's in the sense of the source of life. It's a family word, but it's a word that's used very formally. Nobody, nobody, not like Abraham, not Moses, not even David. They never called God Father. But Jesus arrives, and with one exception, that is the only way he ever addresses God. It's astounding to see this kind of intimacy. It is astounding to see this kind of familiarity. And I'm sure it was surprising, and I'm sure it was moving for the disciples to hear Jesus pray just like that, with that intimacy and that familiarity. But Jesus turns, and he looks at them, and he looks at us, and he says, you should do it too, because you can Church, Jesus wants us to know that we have the great privilege of addressing God as Father. We can address him like children with intimacy and with closeness and with familiarity. That's how he wants us to address him. That's how he wants to be known. And I promise if you spend time thinking about that, if you spend time just meditating on the fact that God wants you to call him Father, it, it will change the way you pray and it will change you. And of course, Jesus knows, just like every one of us in here this morning does, that Father is a word that over the course of life takes on lots of meanings, and not all of them are good. For some of us, of course, the word Father means something sturdy, and it means something good and bright and safe. For, for others of us, it doesn't feel like that. You know, some of us haven't had fathers, or we had fathers who weren't really a around much, or who didn't seem that much interested in us. Some of us have had angry fathers, or violent fathers, or an addicted father, or an abusive one. And I want you to know if that's you, then healing as a child, it can begin by receiving the gift of a good father. Jesus brings us into a family with a good father. And he holds that gift out to us right now. So Jesus, he tells this story uh, about a sleepy friend and his midnight visitor. It's kind of hard for us to catch in our translations, but Jesus tells this entire story. He tells it as a question. Which of you, he says, and then he goes on to tell the story. The point is kind of like Jesus asking his disciples if they could ever really imagine anything like what he is about to say could really happen. Can you imagine, Jesus is saying. A guy comes to his friend's house at midnight and he comes with a real problem. Another friend of his has arrived on a journey and wouldn't you know it, he is plumb out of food. There's nothing to set before him. So he asked his sleepy friend, who he is awakened, by the way, by yelling into his window from out in the middle of the street if he could borrow three loaves of bread. That's the setup, and here's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to imagine that the guy inside puts him off. <laughs> Don't bother me. The door's shut. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Can you imagine that, Jesus says. <laughs> 
Can you imagine that? And the response that Jesus expected, and I'm sure the response that Jesus got when he told that story was for people to laugh and for people to shake their heads. Of course we don't have a friend like that, Jesus. Of course we can't imagine anything like that. That's crazy. Now I know if Jesus told that story now, if he told that story in our culture with our values at play, we would be aghast at the midnight visitor, wouldn't we? Somebody coming out in the middle of the night, <laughs> making a racket out in the streets, yelling into my house, getting me out of my bed, waking my kids up. Do you know how long it took to get the little one to finally go to sleep? But church, you need to know in Jesus' day, the people are not laughing at the midnight visitor. They are laughing at the impossibility of having a sleepy friend who won't get up. Of course he'll get up. Middle Eastern hospitality, which I've been told has not changed that much since the time that Jesus told this story, meant that of course, of course you would offer a meal to a friend no matter what time they showed up. And of course, you would ask your friend for some bread if you were out of bread. And of course, of course your friend would help you out. Each of those is a big fat yes in Jesus' day. There is no weirdness about any of it. There is no shame about any of it. It is just another Tuesday night. And that's the point. Jesus says, look, if this guy wouldn't even do this because he was your friend, which is already absurd, the impudence of this ask, the complete shamelessness of it, would make your guy get up and, and toss bread and anything else you needed out the window as soon as he could. He'd be put out if you didn't ask him. And that's the lead-in for what Jesus wants to teach people like us about praying, which is to pray like you are searching and you will not give up until you have found what it is that you are looking for. Ask and you'll receive, Jesus says. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Why can we pray like that? How could we possibly pray like that? Well, I'll tell you, church, it's because we don't have a father who is hesitant to listen to us. It's because we don't have a father that we ever, ever, ever have to worry about having enough pull with. It's because we have a father that we don't ever need to think about whether we have done enough good to have him do some good by us. He's not like that. In a million ways, our Father cannot be compared to your sleepy friend, but I'm telling you, in this one way, He can. He will always listen to you, and He will always give you what you need. And that's, that's a really important part of this teaching. I mean, the truth is, sometimes when we pray, we're knocking on the wrong door, right? And sometimes we're seeking the wrong things. Sometimes we ask for stuff, and, and when we do, when we ask for those things, we can't really see that if we got them, they wouldn't be great for us. They wouldn't be good for the people around us. That's just the truth. Sometimes we pray, we can't see around the corner, we can't see down the road far enough to see the things that we really should be asking for. And that's, that's okay, because we have a good father, a father who loves us. He's not going to give you stuff you don't need stuff that will hurt you, he's going to give you good things. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 11 and 12 when he asks those questions about dads. <laughs> what father among you, if his children ask for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if they ask for an egg, is going to give him a scorpion? I mean, if one of my kids um, asked me for an egg, 
I don't go over to the fridge and pull an egg out and drop it in her hand. I mean, I might, I might do that just to be dumb, just to make a funny joke. But when she very understandably does not laugh at my dumb joke, I'll probably ask her how she wants the egg prepared. <laughs> and I might fry some bacon and put some toast in the toaster. And if guys like me, who are evil, which is Jesus' very earthy and very true way of saying, I am nothing like God the Father. If a guy like me knows how to give good gifts to my children, then what kind of father do we think he will be to us? And for Jesus, it's very simple. If your sleepy friend or even the worst dad you know is going to set you up with food when you ask for it, what do you think your father in heaven will be like? His love exceeds beyond the best of the human fathers we've ever known because he gives his children the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, which is another way of saying he gives you his whole life. He shares everything that he has with you for your good. And church, Jesus doesn't tell us that this is what the Father is like so that we'll simply admire it. And he doesn't tell us that this is what the Father is like so that we'll write it down in a textbook or even preach a sermon about it. Jesus tells us this is what our Father is really like so that people like us will talk to him. (laughs) So that people like us will not be able to resist talking to him all the time. He tells us what the Father is like so that people like us with simplicity and with trust and with open-handedness like a child so that we will enter into shared life with him for our good. So when you pray, (laughs) say, Our Father. Let me pray for us. Our Father, (laughs) help every one of us in here to never pray a pop culture prayer again. Not because it isn't the tug in our heart and in our mind, but because that's not how you are. Because that's not how you want to be known, because that is not the way that you are with your children. Help us to trust you with open hands, to trust that you will give us what is good and what we need. Do this so that we can grow up and strengthen in our faith. Do this so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we prayed in Christ's name. Amen.